The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that, had seen, that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you uh, came up before Mass to look at the three magi in the nativity scene here, you would have noticed certainly that there are no magi in the nativity scene. My understanding is that the tranvia is broken this morning and that they are expected to arrive sometime this afternoon. So there goes the beginning of my homily. 
You know, this Feast of the Epiphany is a lovely one. It wraps up the Christmas season. You know, it's, um, we have lots of memories associated with it, particularly around the nativity scene. Many of our homes and churches, you know, we would move the three kings starting sometime in maybe middle of Advent, and they'd you know, go from bedroom to bedroom and windowsill to windowsill till they finally, on the Epiphany, arrived at the scene itself, at the nativity scene. And we have songs that we love and that we even make fun of, the We Three Kings of Orient are. There's other versions of that that are, I won't repeat in church. Um, but it's, it's like, okay, you know, Christmas is ending. We'll take down the tree. Later today, we'll probably take up the nativity scene and put it in its box. And, and all will be fine. It's a lovely feast. It wraps everything up. And our fondness for the three characters that dominate the story that we heard from Matthew's gospel is, is so rich and we're so close to them, we feel like, that we have all kinds of names for them. Isn't it funny that, that we call them the three kings? We call them the three wise men. We call them the three astrologers. We call them the three magi, which is the word that Matthew actually uses in his gospel. Each one of those names tells a slightly different story. It's the same story, but it has a different tone or a different character, perhaps a different message for us. For example, if we call them the three kings, then, then they represent all the kings of the world. You know, not just the kings and the queens, but the potentates and the prime ministers and the presidents, everybody who has power in this world. You know, the big people, the important people. They represent those kinds of kings. And they are teaching a powerful lesson to the kings of this world. When they come and take off their beautiful gold crowns and do homage before one they call a king, but who is a king not to the visible eye. You know, they doff their crowns and do homage and bow before an, a poor little baby with no robes except a swaddling cloth, with no crown except eventually a crown of thorns, <laughs> with no army except Later on, a group of goofy disciples and apostles, most of them fishermen or tax collectors, hardly the best of the best. And yet here they are, on behalf of all of this world's rulers, acknowledging that their power and their authority is really nothing in the face of God's power and authority and glory. This child, this child in Bethlehem, has a power and authority greater than theirs because of God's love made manifest in his flesh, in his heart, and most of all, in his spirit. And if those three characters from the East, from the Orient, are called are, um, astrologers, then in a sense, they represent all of the scientists of the world, the people who look up into the night sky and wonder and try to figure out how it's all working. What makes this universe, this cosmos tick? 
Those people who've got to measure and investigate and take pictures and have telescopes and microscopes to sort of figure out the macro and the micro of this universe of ours. <laughs> and as those scientists, when the three astrologers come forward representing all of those people, they yet again, when they bow before this child Jesus of Bethlehem, they're acknowledging that there is something beyond the matter of this world, between beyond matter and time, that is beyond our ken, that we can never fully understand using just our minds, that, that we cannot explain the foundation of this universe of ours. We cannot explain the mystery of love. There's so much that we can see, so much that we can measure, so much that we can learn about through the scientific method. But in the end, there is beyond the universe, beyond time and space, beyond micro and macro, this and that, a creator, word made flesh before all time and in all time, and that will perdure after all time. And these astrologers, these scientists of their time, bow before the manifestation of that glory, the Word made flesh. And if the three fellows from the Orient are wise men, and perhaps in a sense they're philosophers and they represent the world's philosophers. All those people who, who wonder about the meaning of everything, not just the measurements, but what does this all mean? How is it that we have come to be here? How is it that we perceive? How is it that we think? How is it that we can ask the most fundamental question, why is there something rather than nothing? And, and they represent those philosophers among us as well. And yet again, when they bow before this child, Jesus, they are saying, we cannot answer that question on our own. Our ponderings are not deep enough and never will be deep enough for us to come up with definitive answers to the great questions of the universe the great ponderings of the philosophers of all and every time. The answer to the question of our meaning, of where we come from and where we're going, lies in this child who is truth, who is beauty, who is indeed meaning itself. And if the three from the Orient are perceived as magi, as they are in Matthew's Gospel, that word basically means magus in Latin, which is in English would be magician, then perhaps they represent those people who in other lands and other places, you know, use powers that they don't understand to perform feats and wonders, sometimes tricks, to awe people and astound people, to make people go ooh and awe, magicians, to put on a show for them. 
And if they are magicians, magos, magi, then in bowing down before Jesus, they are bowing down before the one who does not use tricks and does not rely on strange powers or occult forces to heal, to strengthen, to forgive, even to bring back to life, to rise from the dead. No tricks here, and the only power is the power of the one and only God. That, too, is a powerful lesson. But as, as much as we love all those titles, it's strange that there's one that goes unspoken, and maybe it's the most important one of all. Why do we not call them the three strangers or the three outsiders or the three foreigners? Because that is exactly who they are. And in being foreigners, being strangers, being outsiders, they represent us. The Gentile people, the people who did not grow up in the covenant of Moses and Abraham the people who have not followed the faith and followed the prophets through the centuries. We're outsiders with them. We come from other lands, from other places. We were not raised in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Nazareth. And, and our religion was not that of their ancestors. And so the people of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Nazareth would have seen these, these three strangers as indeed that outsiders and perhaps sinners and perhaps heretics, people who do not believe in the one true God of Abraham. And yet, as outsiders, as strangers, as people beyond the frontiers of the Jewish faith, they bow before the ultimate manifestation of that faith, the Messiah himself, and take off their crowns and offer him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they are received with love, with generosity, and they are given the gift of God made flesh. This manifestation, the three strangers from the East, the outsiders, the unbelievers, they are us. And they remind us that Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Messiah, is for us too. Whether we are from Johannesburg, whether we hail from Hong Kong, whether we come from Manila, whether we live in Spokane, whether we find ourselves in Cuenca, we all are strangers. We all are outsiders. We all are welcomed to the foot of the Messiah of the Jewish people so that we might know the light of God in its fullness so that our philosophical questions might be answered, so that our scientific investigations might see beyond time and space, so that we too 
might be wise, might be holy, might know the one true God in his fullness. So we'll keep an eye out for the three wise men, the three kings, the three magi, the three strangers as they wait for the Tranvia to bring them to our church.